Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be back. Well, good, good to have you back. Thank you for letting me be gone for a couple of weeks. Um, know you're in good hands. I'm grateful to Mike and Judy to uh, ably uh, taught the last couple of weeks. Um, so we could, our family went on, uh, Kim and I and our two daughters um, went to Italy for two and a half weeks. Whoa. Uh, which is why I didn't tell you ahead of time. <laughs> I like you, but I thought you might want to go along. <laughs> um, it's been a dream of mine for about 25 years. I, when I first came to Milligan, I was part of uh, a professor at the seminary across the street. Uh, wrote me into a sort of international consultation on the church and mission, and that involved going to several conferences, uh, a couple in Amsterdam and Paris and London uh, over the years. And so I traveled with him. He was an avid traveler, seen the world and lived all over the world. And I asked him one time if I could only go one place uh, to see, where would you go? And without batting an eye, he said, Florence. And I respected him so, so much, I thought, that's where I want to go. So for 25 years, I've wanted to go to Florence. So we went. And uh, so, although we, we flew into Rome and we were there for three or four days, we spent about 12 days in Florence, which is where I wanted to be. We took a day trip to Assisi, but I just, I didn't want to see all of Italy. I mean, I didn't want to just bounce from town to town. I wanted to be someplace, and I wanted to be in Florence. So it was amazing. It was really a lot of fun. So. Could have been Florence, South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Kentucky. Uh, yeah, the other Florence. Yeah. So, so I, I just got back uh, late Friday night, so I'm still, I'm, I'm foggier than normal, Linda. Oh. And, uh, I'll keep you straight. Yeah, I'm sure. I'll just let you know, give you permission. If I, if I seem uh, more foggy-headed than usual, that's my, that's my excuse at least this week. That's a different excuse every, every time. So we had delightful, delightful trip. Um, today's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day uh, to all of you. Um, and to you. Well, thank you. you. Some of you are, are fathers. Uh, most of you have had fathers. Um, and so um, all of us come to Father's Day uh, with different things. A lot of us are thinking about our fathers on, on Father's Day. Um, my father would be 98 today. Uh, he died 42 years ago, but um, he'll be 98 today. And I mean today. I mean, today's his birthday. Um, and I can remember, because it happened twice while he was still living, when his, you know, every so often his birthday would fall on Father's Day. And he wasn't very happy about that. Uh, it's sort of like a child who's born on Christmas. It's like you feel like you're, you're cheated. It's like I only get honored twice a year, and now it happens like fall on the same day? Really? Like, what's that about? Um, I don't get two cakes. I don't get, you know. So, anyway. So, I, I was reminded this year that his birthday fell on Father's Day. He wouldn't be happy 
about that. Um, but I know all of you are um, thinking about fathers, and uh, some of you are grateful for the fathers that you had. Um, some are have mixed feelings, right, if we're honest about our fathers. Um, and so I thought today, one of the things I was thinking about uh, when I was in Italy seeing all those beautiful churches and all that beautiful art, um, I was thinking a lot about the way in which God is depicted. And, um, and we know that one of the prominent uh, images of God is as Father. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about that today. But primarily, I want to, the angle I want to come at it is um, to think about the way in which the, the way in which you and I image God more generally uh, has a huge influence. I think we all know this has a huge influence in shaping our relationship to God the way we think about ourselves and our relationship to God. So it's not insignificant how we image God. And so I want us to talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about what's at stake in calling God Father. And maybe also suggest why, uh, as important as it is to continue to hold on to that very, very important image of God as Father, um, why it also needs to be supplemented with other images uh, as well uh, for, for our own good. So that's where, sort of where we're, we're headed for today, and I'm sure there's more than enough there to get me into trouble in the little time that I have. But I haven't gotten in trouble for a couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm due, right? So, uh, so there we go. Um, I think there's lots of places possible starts here, and uh, I think the place I want to begin is to remind ourselves something that we all know, but we easily forget. And that is um, the God that we worship and serve um, is ultimately in, inscrutable, is divine, is divine mystery, and beyond our comprehension. I think we have to remind ourselves of that because um, we're so grateful that God has revealed so much about who God is that I can get pretty comfortable thinking that I sort of got God at least a little figured out. Right? I mean, that's my job anyway, right? I mean, I spent my whole life doing this. Surely I've got some of it figured out. And you don't have to be a professional theologian to have spent most of your life trying to figure God out. Most of you have spent a good bit of your life trying to figure God out too, right? Um, but the Christian tradition's very clear on this point, and that is God is beyond anything that I can say, anything that I can think. Um, God, is, God is beyond that. So whatever understanding I have of God, whatever words and images and metaphors I have for God, they're always going to be ultimately inadequate if 
I think that what they're doing is somehow capturing all that God is, all who God is, right? That's not possible. And, and that's the place to start because I think it, it reminds us of this posture of humility that we have to have when we approach God. That it's true that God has revealed, given us permission to image and bring to, bring to speech uh, aspects of God's character, but ultimately all that falls short of, of capturing all who God is. And that's important for us to be reminded of, I think, when we start this conversation. And so um, it makes me, it helps me um, to know that whatever I think that I know about God, not because I'm so smart, but because God has revealed who God is, um, that even that, while certainly is enough, uh, it's adequate in the sense of it does the work that God wanted it to do, which is to bring us into relationship with God. It's certainly adequate for that task. Um, all of that is, is not adequate enough to think that we somehow have God in our back pocket. So, again, I think we all know that, but I think it never hurts to be reminded of that because we can get pretty comfortable with thinking about God in certain kinds of ways. And I suspect that I was almost tempted to do it today, but I thought I'm not going to do it today during worship. Um, because I thought if I start doing that, I'm not going to be worshiping. I'm going to be analyzing. And it's always, that's always a trick if you're an analyzer by trade. It's hard to shut it off sometimes. <laughs> um, but it would have been interesting this morning, or during any worship service, you can do this sometime, um, is just pay attention to what are the, what's the language and images that we use for God most often. Right? Um, So let's just, let's just do a little survey. From your own experience, um, either, uh, a lot of us are shaped. I mean, we, we pray and we worship um, that in ways that reflect our, really, some of our deepest theological convictions. And that's where a lot of our deepest theological convictions is kind of this interesting circle, right? A lot of your deep theology has been shaped by songs you sing, right? This is why a hymnody is not unimportant. Uh, it, it, a lot of your theology, whether you know it or not, you've internalized from songs that you have sung right, over the years, uh, for good and ill, as it turns out. This is why uh, bad hymnody is important, <laughs> right? To recognize it as bad hymnody. It's like, the times you're just like, you know, we, we should stop singing that song, right? Because it's, it's teaching us something that may not be so. Um, yeah, well, there's all kinds of uh, uh, songs in there that, uh, yeah, you just have to ask. So that's, the lesson's not about that, see, that's, that's just a side issue. Um, but what are some of the, if we were doing a family feud, I guess that show's still on TV, I'm told, which is hard for me to imagine. 
Yeah, I know. Why is it always the bad game shows stay around and they never die? But if we were playing Family Feud and we were trying to list maybe the top four or five uh, metaphors or images for God that seem to be most routinely uh, showing up in our hymns, in our liturgies, in our prayers, uh, what kinds of things would you be voting on? Would you be thinking we're pretty high on the survey if we surveyed 100 people? It's not quite 100 people here, but they're pretty close, right? Father would be up there. Sovereign. Sovereign. Creator. Creator. Lord. List shortened up pretty quickly. Shortened pretty quickly after those, didn't they? That itself is instructive. How about the world? That's a baby. Right. How about names for God or images? Sorry? Abba. Yeah, which is Father. Yeah. Savior. Almighty. Almighty. <coughs> Yahweh. It's actually name. Counselor. God. God. Teacher. Advocate. Advocate. Teacher. Mystical Lord. presence. Mystical presence. Lord. Lord. The one. The one. Savior. Savior. Alpha. Alpha, Omega, I am. Yeah, we. So we're starting. It's interesting how few of the the ones that you just mentioned though actually do show up in hymnody, right? Occasionally, uh, I think today the ones I noticed when I was not trying to notice were Lord showed up a lot, and and I think Father showed up once. Um, again, that's not inappropriate. It's just. Um, in scripture, there are actually hundreds of images for God, right? And, and I'm not suggesting that they're all equally important, right? I'm certain, um, but it is important to be reminded that, I mean, I think scripture has that for a reason. It's, it's to remind us, um, if you need that many images just to begin to, it's like a, you know, that, it's like that diamond that has so many different facets to it, so many different... It's, if God's character, God's being is like that, no, no one facet sort of is enough to reflect the brilliance of God. It takes all of that together. Uh, there's so many things about God and God's nature that we want to be able to say. And certainly a lot of it can be said through images like Father. Um, but not everything that we want to say about God can be said with that one image, which is not a, not a reason to get rid of it. Don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying that. Absolutely not. Uh, Jesus clearly authorizes us to call God Father, and we should. Right? And we should. Um, when Jesus is asked by his disciples... You know, teach us to pray, right? Jesus instructs to send to say, our Father, right? And so we have it on, you know, good authority that we should call it. Jesus himself uh, called God Father. Uh, of all the, the prayers that we have of Jesus recorded in the New Testament, all of them except one uh, call God Father. So it seems to have been Jesus' practice.
to call God Father. And, and it's not insignificant that Jesus and Paul uh, both insist that because of the work of Jesus, uh, we have been adopted into the family of God, and so therefore we too, like Jesus, may and should call God Father. That's a beautiful gift. And it, it would be incredibly presumptuous of us to do that had we not been authorized to. Right? Um, if I just sat around one day and thought, well, you know, I'm just feeling so close to God that I think I will, for the first time in history, call God Father. I mean, you would think, who do you think you are? Right? And so it's a beautiful gift to call God Father. What's interesting to me as I was thinking about this uh, last week was the way in which Jesus depicts the Father that he calls us to, to pray to and acknowledge. Uh, because that's, that's where the surprise is, at least one of the surprises. And again, I think this is one of the things that we may know, but I don't, I'm not sure you can uh, be reminded of it too many times. And I'm thinking of that most famous parable that we keep coming back to, and the reason it's famous is because it's just like God's character, inexhaustible. And that's the, the parable of the so-called prodigal son. Right, in Luke 15, uh, which we've talked about, Jason's talked about. Um, but I think it's important to remind ourselves what's, when we were doing the series on the parables, seems like 10 years ago, but I'm sure it wasn't. Um, now one of the things we said about the parables is that they're intended um, to, to shock us out of our, our sort of normal sensibilities. Uh, Jesus tells parables. I mean, sometimes we, we make Jesus out to be a, a, a parable teller because we think, well, he just uses quaint stories to kind of get his point across as if they're just sort of illustrations. Um, Jesus is pretty clear. I mean, he, he tells parables uh, to kind of shock us out of our normalcy. And I think what you need to understand about the, the prodigal son parable that's relevant for today is you know, how were, how were Jewish fathers thought of, right? Uh, how were they thought of? Uh, what, what, what were the sort of standard <coughs> values and conventions of first century Palestinian families' life? Uh, how were fathers treated? How were they understood? What was their relationship to their children? And it's always dangerous to generalize because they're generalizations, but I think we can do that. And it sounds a little familiar because it's not completely uh, unlike uh, many Western societies, uh, particularly of earlier years. And so uh, fathers were, were a, little bit, uh, a little bit aloof 
a little bit, this is by our standards, right? Not criticizing, we're just trying to name it. Um, we're to be, first of all, respected and feared. Okay. Um, they expected, uh, demanded obedience. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those, and, and so fear and respect uh, were, were very central to the relationship between fathers and their children of that day. And again, stereotypically, it's always dangerous to, to say this, um, and so mothers were often regarded to be um, the more compassionate and caring, nurturing ones. So what's extraordinary about Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, um, and we've said before that the word prodigal really means reckless, right? Uh, and the one who's reckless in this story is really the father, right? Uh, probably should call it the parable of the prodigal father because he, he, he's pretty reckless with the conventions of the day, right? And so we all know the story, right? The son comes and asks for his inheritance ahead of his father's death, which is pretty inappropriate, right? That, that's sort of understatement, right? Um, it's like if one of your children comes to you and says, you know, um, I know that when you, when you die, I'm going to get some of your stuff, but I, I really like to have mine now. Because um, I got some things I want to do. I got some life I want to live, and I don't know when you're going to die, and it could be really long, and I, you know, I'm going to waste my life between now and then. So, in fact, I might die before you, right? And then where would I be? So, can I get my stuff now? I don't know how that would go down in your household, but I'm thinking, you know, it wouldn't go well. And the remarkable thing in the story is that the father, again, is reckless. He gives it to his son, right? And he goes and squanders it. Right? He goes and squanders it. And we know the story. He comes to his senses. And uh, he already, on the way back, begins making his speech. Like, what's he going to say? He's going to fall on his sword. Right? It's like, <laughs> you know, just take me back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just take me back as a servant. Because at least as a servant, I'll eat better than I would have eaten out there in the countryside after I squandered my inheritance, right? So he knows the respect. I mean, he's, he's mindful of it now. Apparently he didn't think about it when he left. But he's mindful now of the respect and the fear of his father that he has. Um, I mean, his father has no obligation to take him back even as a slave, right? He is going to fall down and beg throw himself on the mercy of his father 
knowing that his father does not have to take him back, even as a slave. So that's his expectation. And so while he's still far off, the father sees him and goes out to him. You don't do that. You don't do that in Jesus' day. Okay, fathers don't go after their, running after their children. Right? He should have stayed there respectfully, waited for his fun son to grovel. Right? That's what, I mean, some of us would have done, wouldn't we have? Right? Like, I think grovel big time. Right? Um, I mean, most of us wouldn't have given it to begin with, right? So that this story would never have happened. <laughs> but if we had, right, if we had, we would expect a lot of groveling. And it would have been hard for us not to say, you know, I, how many I told you so's, right? Um, or I hope you learned your lesson. Or, I mean, how could we have resisted all the things but to have seen the, the sun coming far off and to have started running, which again is, it's not just that he went out, he starts running, which is completely not just disrespectful, it's embarrassing. It means he had to kind of hike up his, his robes. I mean, th those things weren't made for running, right? It had, and an older man wouldn't be seen running it. You're like dignified. It's like, you know, it's, it's like a professor in a, in a processional, right? You've got these big robes on and you're walking stately down. Now that's how, that's how it, fathers walked around. You don't hike up your robes and go running across the countryside after your son who did that to you. This, yeah, he's disgraceful, and now you're disgracing yourself. Right? And then, you know, the son doesn't even get his groveling out before the father. The father just doesn't want to hear it. Right? Doesn't need to hear it. Welcomes him back, throws a party. Kills a fatted calf, puts the ring on his finger. That, when Jesus' audience heard that, they must have thought, we have never seen a father like that. That's completely outside of their experience. So, when Jesus calls us, invites us, welcomes us to call God Father, he's not saying, think of your father, try to erase the things about your father that were shortcomings, because all of our fathers had shortcomings, and just clean him up a little bit, and that's what I'm like. No, Jesus is saying this father is not like any father you've ever seen. 
In fact, this, this father has certainly fatherly characteristics, but also what they would have regarded as motherly characteristics. This quickness to forgive, this tenderness of the father, which again, again, it's all stereotypical, so we know the dangers of that. But it would have been so in Jesus' day as well, that this, this father was not just, you know, calling Jesus father was not just a matter of thinking of human fathers and thinking of God like that. This was a father no one had ever seen or experienced. It was shocking that God would act this way. But Jesus does that a lot. Jesus kind of disorients us, displaces our understanding of what it means to be Father, what it means, this, this God the Father. <clears throat> you know, on, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus tells us not to worry. You recall that famous passage about not worrying and that the, the clothes, or that the, the flowers of the field are clothed and the birds of the air are fed. And don't you know that your father knows you have need of all those things? Well, in Jesus' day, it was the mother who fed and clothed the children. And yet Jesus says, you know, don't you know your father? Your father clothes you, your father feeds you. <coughs> so again, this is, had, it's, we, don't, we don't even see that anymore. Right? But that, that had to have been a little disorienting for people in Jesus' day. That this, this father uh, had, was doing all these, these motherly, so-called motherly things. And so Jesus has a view of Father, which is sort of full-orbed. Um, not any Father that anyone in Jesus' day had ever bumped into. So when Jesus invites his disciples, invites his followers to call Jesus, to call God as Jesus did, Father, and to teach about who this Father was, Jesus was actually doing something fairly radical that is easily lost on us, I think, um, because we, we are so familiar with calling God Father um, that I think we've, we've lost, potentially, the kind of radical character because it's not simply that Jesus calls us invites us to call God Father but he instructs us into what kind of father this God is which is I think more important right more important it's not, it's not just that we call Godfather. So it's true that 
um, a lot of people uh, who have had difficult childhoods, who either had absent fathers or abusive fathers or, or fathers who, you know, in their experience got more wrong than right. I mean, it's, it's hard for them if, if we're not careful, if we're not clear about what it means to call God Father, they might hear us saying, and this would be the natural thing to think, right? Um, when they hear us calling God Father or invite them to call God Father, if they think all we're doing is calling God Father on the basis of what we think fatherhood is based on our own experience of human fathers, then we can understand why they think, you know, I don't even know why I would want to call God Father. I mean, can you see why that would be a problem for some people? If, that, if, that's, if that's all that we've done to them, if we haven't really helped them see, not just that it's, we've been invited to call God Father, but that as important or more important than calling God Father is, is, is to see what kind of Father it is. What kind of God is called Father? I don't think the language of Father is just like any other metaphor. I do think it's a central metaphor for Christians for a good reason. Um, I also think it's the case that we, we do need other images, right? And, and scripture gives us other images to, to supplement. Um, and I, I think the danger comes when we shrink the sort of beautiful variety and diversity of scriptural images down to three or four that we get so comfortable with and realize that that can unwittingly, unintentionally kind of hamstring us. And so one of the things I'd like to do over the next few weeks since during the summer I know people are in and out, including me, I've proven that, um, is, is to look at some uh, seldom reflected on images, some, some of the more obscure ones, ones you didn't list. Right? Uh, just a few over the next few weeks of the summer, since I know these will be kind of things that will be able, easily be able to stand alone. That's what I'm trying to do in the summer when I know there's not a lot of continuity. Um, and so, and to say, you know, what would it, what would it contribute? Because I mean, to think of God as Father, potentially, this kind of Father offers a, a treasure, uh, a treasure chest of possibilities for understanding myself, other people, um, my relationship with God. And some of these other ones do as well. Uh, what would it mean to reflect on them? So that's what we'll be doing in the next few weeks um, is looking at some of the uh, lesser known images, ones that probably don't show up in your hymnal, don't show up in liturgy, um, but are in scripture, and I think uh, offer the potential 
to help us see a different facet of that diamond that might deepen our relationship with God in perhaps uh, really, really helpful ways. Um, not in any way to replace Father language or displace it. I'm not at all trying to do that. I want very much for you to hang on and deepen your understanding of Father language. Um, but, but to be reminded um, that Jesus himself and the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, use a wealth of images, necessarily. Uh, and it is interesting to me that the, the first several centuries of the church seems to have been much more aware of this. They devoted a lot of time to reflecting on many of these. And for many of us, um, I suspect for many of these, we don't even know that they're there. Um, and so I thought that might be fun over the summer uh, to recover some of those uh, while I still try to figure out uh, from your good input uh, what the heck we're going to do for our next series after, after this one. Um, so that's sort of where we're headed um, and why we're headed there. Um, we all have, uh, put it another way, when you hear the word Father, God is Father, it's pretty much impossible to separate that language from your own experience of fathers. And in a room like this, we have people all across the board, a whole range of people who've had very different experiences with fathers. Right? Um, I can remember, uh, I was thinking about this last night. I thought, you know, even when your children, your children have certain images of you as a father, and uh, for good and ill. And, and one of the sweet times is when your children uh, think you can do no wrong, right? Quickly passes. Um, but with our, with our fourth child, uh, Catherine, uh, fourth of five, I figured this out, that like, this is not gonna last forever. So one day when she was uh, 10 years old, um, she said, Daddy, you're always right about everything. And I said, well, that's a lovely thing for you to think, Catherine. I said, could I get you to write that down? <laughs> Date it. Yes, sign it. And she did. <laughs> I keep it hidden because I, I know she wants to, you know, retract it. I, I keep it in a vault, locked. But it says, in quotes, she, in her handwriting, you're always right, stated by Catherine Kennison on Sunday, January 8th, 2006 at 11.06 a.m. And on the back, she has signed it. So... She's now 21. She no longer has such illusions. I just spent two and a half weeks with her in Italy. She knows I'm not always right. Um, but it was lovely while it lasted. Um, so we all have images of father, and our images of fathers change, right? My view of my father uh, now 
42 years after he died was very different when I was 15 years old, right? I see him differently. I've grown up. Uh, I have more compassion for him than I'm sure I did when I was 15. I just didn't understand him when I was 15. Um, I'm not sure I understand him now. Um, but I, I feel differently, right? And so we change. Um, but here we have on Jesus' authority that we are invited to call God Father, but it's a very different Father than I experience or you experience, I suspect. Don't want to speak for you. So, yeah, I'm not... I, I don't want my children... I mean, I hope that when my children think of God as Father, I don't get in the way too much, but I'm sure that I do. Right? I'm sure that I do. And so they need to be reminded that what it means to call God Father is not just a better version of me. It's something very different. Right? Something that they've never experienced. And, and that's good news. That's good news. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks that you have invited us <clears throat> to call you Father, not on the basis of who we are, but purely on the basis of who you are. That in Christ you have revealed your fullest, truest nature, And that you have adopted us in and through Christ. You have drawn us into your very life, your very family, and regard us as your beloved children. May we rest in the truth of that in the coming days. May your compassion and mercy and forgiveness that we can so often rightly feel we don't deserve. May we rest in the truth of your good fatherhood. May our lives, even if imperfectly, be reflections of your character. And when we fail, may we fall once again upon your mercy and grace. We give you thanks for the work of your spirit who draws us into your life who empowers us to live more and more into your character. May that be in some way evident in each of our lives this week. We pray through the one who with boldness called you Abba, Father, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs>